Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Matthew Palaberry back with us. Author, editor, shamanic explorer. His adventures have taken him through the mountains, deserts, and jungles of North, Central, and South America, pursuing his studies of shamanism and visionary experiences working with plant medicines, among them ayahuasca, peyote, San Pedro Cactus, and many more. He's been a leading popular fantastic fiction workshop at the Southern California and Santa Barbara Writers Conferences for more than 30 years and frequently lectures about shamanism and writing throughout the United States. He's got two books out this year, The Thinning Veil and I Am Consciousness Incarnate. Matthew, you've been busy. Yes, sir, I am, George. Thank you. Good to have you back with us. How have you been? I've been great, as you said, super busy, um, keeping my nose down and my butt up, working away. Traveling still? Yes, sir, almost too much, um, but you can never complain. you got to get it while you can get it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, tonight we're going to talk about consciousness and your two books. And let's talk about the two books that have come out. Which came out first uh, this year, The Thinning Veil or The I Am Consciousness Incarnate? The Thinning Veil came out first. I was actually writing the two in parallel because um, I was working on the I Am Consciousness Incarnate. I actually started it. I got the inspiration for it of all times at Christmas Eve. And then um, one of my fans was bugging me. He's like, okay, we love you nonfiction, but how about some more stories? So I was doing the, the stories kind of in between, and it's nice to change off between two different projects kind of to get a break from each one and yep. you know, keep it flowing. It is refreshing. Now, in your opinion, what is your definition of consciousness? So, um, in my opinion, in the end, consciousness has to do with awareness. 
And, and it's our individual awareness of our thoughts and our memories, our feelings, our sensations, and our environments. It's awareness of ourselves and the world around us. And it's a, it's a subjective experience that's unique to each one of us. So if, if we can describe uh, something that we are experiencing in words, then it's part of our consciousness. And it's interesting because it constantly shifts and changes. You, you, you right in one moment you could be listening to me talk right now, and the next next you may shift over to thinking about a uh, conversation you had with a friend or your you know your previous guest there, or you might suddenly think about how uncomfortable the chair you're sitting in is, or you start, might might start thinking about what's going to be for dinner. Uh, it shifts very quickly and dramatically from one, one moment to the next, and yet there's a continuity to it. Um, it. It feels very smooth and effortless as we as we flow through it. Is it related to the brain, or is it outside of the brain? I love questions like that. I would say yes. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because um, we are the seat of consciousness, so to speak. And how we experience the world has to do with our perceptions. And so we, we have the experiences that come to us through our five senses. But we also have what, what comes from within us. You know, there's the expression a priori, which is how you think about something sort of before it happens. Like you can have a priori concept of house, and then you look and you see a house, and those two connections make it become real for you, you know, in your experience. They, there's tons of theories, <clears throat> excuse me, um, about where consciousness resides within the brain, mm-hmm. but they're all theories. Because the brain is a very complex network, um, and it's interconnected in many ways. So you can't really pin it down to one place, because it, it, it's very evasive. It's very mercurial. Um, it, it moves around. And then there are tons of different definitions of consciousness. And where does the subconscious fit in, Matthew? <clears throat> so the subconscious um, kind of lies below everything else, and much of it comes through in how we talk. It's it's closely related to our conscious mind, but it's the things that we're not really thinking about in the moment, but we can draw into our conscious awareness very quickly. Things that we don't want to look at necessarily or see are repressed into the unconscious minds. I know you and I have talked a bit in the past about uh, shadow work. Yeah. And, you know, shadow work is the, the things within ourselves that we consider to be um, unacceptable. But there are good things and bad things that are in there. And, and you could have an experience, a traumatic experience that sends you into shock, and your mind will automatically block it out. Just like, you know, if you get into a nasty car accident, you may not feel anything because your mind, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. That's right. So... Um, it can come into into our awareness when we need it. Like we, right now, we may not be thinking about doing long division. But if we go, oh, I want to do long division, we can immediately go to that information and bring it into our conscious awareness and solve a math problem. There are other things. There are memories, um, other things we can access. This happens a lot, obviously, being a writer, where we can go to those places. And, and being a writer... You have to learn to work with your subconscious. You have to learn how to feed it and then basically forget about it 
and then it will deliver sometimes when you're taking a shower, sometimes in a dream. But you learn to work with it and you learn to trust it. It has all the stuff that's not immediately uh, available to us in the moment because if, if we had everything that went on in our brains happening at once, we would be completely incoherent. We couldn't handle it all. No, not at all. You know, we don't think I can, we can suddenly take control of our breath. But breathing is really an unconscious process. Our heartbeat, our body temperature, all of the things that regulate keeping us alive, we don't consciously think about. There's that whole part of our mind that takes care of those things for us, which allows us to be very present and in the moment so that we can function, you know, with all this information. And we have to follow the information that we get in order to remain coherent. Otherwise, we're just simply overwhelmed by everything. The late uh, psychologist uh, William James talked about human consciousness, and he said there were five major characteristics. What are they? Yeah, William James is one of my favorite heroes of all time. Um, he was brilliant. And he says that, um, kind of what I was just saying just, just now, that human consciousness it flows like a stream, and it's characterized by uh, streams of thought, being governed by these five characteristics. So the first one is that every thought tends to be part of a personal consciousness. The second one is that within each personal consciousness, thought is always changing. The third is that within each personal consciousness, thought is sensibly continuous. The fourth is that it always appears to deal with objects independent of itself. And the last one is that it is interested in some parts of these objects to the exclusion of others. Those are the five primary characteristics that he uh, observed. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Do, do some people naturally use their conscious not minds and subconscious minds without really even trying? Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, um, intuition is one of the greatest examples of that. And some people have more... Uh, intuition and awareness than other people in certain situations. And some people have more knowledge of one area than in another. So I always, you know, not getting into politics, but I always like to say if you go far enough right, you're going to end up left. And if you go far enough left, huh. you're going to end up right. You just go in a circle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it all, and it does, it all kind of goes full circle. And there are things that we can do intuitively um, that we don't really have to think about. And anybody who has studied, you know, writing in many respects is one of them, but anybody who's a musician, you know, like, um, I'm a musician, I'm a vocalist, I've also studied and practiced martial arts, um, great sports uh, players, um, they don't have to think about what they're doing. There's an expression uh, among scientists and psychologists, they basically say uh, neurons that fire together wire together. So in my case, um, among other things, I'm a drummer. So I learned to practice. There's the 26 drum rudiments, and you learn to practice them. And in the, in the beginning, you have to think about what you're doing, and you make it happen. And then the more you do it, the more you don't have to think about it. And then, of course, when it's time to play music, you forget about all that, and you just play. And um, years ago, when I was first studying martial arts, my sensei was saying that the ideal condition would be to be in a uh, in a fight and be knocked unconscious, and still being able to fight because your body knows what to do. <laughs> so I always kind of like that idea. And then, you know, same thing about when, you know other different physical skills as examples. If you learn to ride a bicycle, you got to really pay attention to what you're doing. But once you learn how to do it, you forget. You just get on the bike and you ride. With that old saying, it's like riding a bicycle. That's where those cliches come from, because they're great. <laughs> I was talking the last couple hours about artificial intelligence. Is that going to play a part in any of this? Yes and no. Um, I also, nowhere near uh, the background, um of your previous guest, Bart, right? Yeah, Costco, um, Bart Costco. Yeah, but I, but I have a, a background in technology. And so, you know, one of the things Bart was saying was that the massive amount of computing power you need for artificial intelligence is to learn to train it. And the more you feed it all this different information, it learns and then it responds. But... It can never really have emotion, 
um, you know, it can emulate it. It can be polite, but it can't change physical sensations. It can't really smell. It can't feel in the heart. It can't uh, really admire what is it like to look at a beautiful rose or to smell a beautiful rose. You know, it can't go down the street like we go down the street and suddenly see a beautiful woman and your heart stops because she's so beautiful, right? Um, it can't do any of those things, but I like to think of it as a very complex tool. And it's an extension of our consciousness because, uh, like, like Bart said, it is, um, it's, it's doing what we're asking it to do. And it's extending itself to, to follow, he, he used a great term about human, I forget how he put it, but it was like human error. Or uh, human agents, I think, is the word that he used, the expression he used. Mm -hmm. So we can use it as an extension. It can certainly do wonderful things, but um, it can't have those spontaneous emotional things. It can't shift like we shift in the stream of consciousness from moment to moment. It can only copy what we do and how we direct it. It's just like you can see a house, and you can build a house, and you can use all the tools to build a house, but you're the one that's doing the building. You know, you, you can you can program computers to carve beautifully pieces of wood with laser and all of those things, but there's nothing like that hands-on feeling of old-school artistry and carpentry and, and, you know, sculpting and things like that that we do as humans. You talk about animal and plant consciousness. Tell me about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated with that, particularly because of my uh, experiences that I've had in the jungle. And people could say, well, that person is as dumb as a houseplant. But I'm not so sure that the houseplant is so dumb, and maybe they're even smarter than us. And, you know, there's that, there's that whole thing about how maybe plants are cultivating us. Because they were there before we were. And there's this whole symbiotic relationship between um, plants and humans and, and other things. So the whole idea of animal consciousness, <clears throat> excuse me, poses a problem of other minds because non-human animals don't have the ability to express human language, and they can't tell humans about their experiences. So you can't really have a objective reasoning about that question. Because the denial that an animal's consciousness implies it doesn't feel and it, that its life has no value and that harming it is not morally wrong. Descartes has often been blamed for, for mistreating animals because he believed that only humans have a non-physical mind. And most people believe that animals like cats and dogs are conscious, but insects are not. But the source of this is based on personal interactions with pets and other animals that have been subjectively observed. So if you think that subjective experience is the essence of consciousness, then the nature of con animal consciousness, we can't really know. If insects have subjective experiences, then they have to embody the essence of consciousness. Do, do bees like the taste of nectar? Do ants foraging for crumbs feel better when they find one? Everyone agrees that bees can take in environmental information and perform impressive computations on it. But can they feel and sense the environment from a pers person perspective? 
Just because they can't articulate it in human language doesn't mean they're not conscious. Where does consciousness come from in the first place, Matthew? It comes from within us. Are we, we are. are we born with it, or do we inherit it? I think we're born with it. Um, I think we come into awareness initially in the womb or whenever we come into this plane of existence. And we are evolving. So when we first come into feeling and knowing and experiencing, we're de definitely connected to our mothers in the womb. But we can't articulate things. We don't know what's going on until suddenly things start to change in the womb and we end up into the world, and then we start to learn as we go. But if you, if you go down to the basics of defining consciousness as awareness, then the moment you have any sort of awareness within the womb is the beginning of consciousness. And, of course, the more you evolve and the bigger your brain gets and the more your sensory organs evolve, the more input you have, and the more your consciousness can evolve and develop and become more aware. And, in, you know, in shamanism and on the spiritual paths throughout the world, in the end it's all about growing awareness and becoming more aware. If somebody's working towards becoming enlightened, so to speak, then they're becoming more aware of things. And, of course, the more aware you become, the more conscious you become, and the better and the wiser and the better decisions that you can make, you know, within yourself and within the world and within, uh, you know, the people around you. Does consciousness make successful people? I think yes. But um, I think consciousness in terms of success is also a subjective thing. Uh, a guy can have, uh, you know, six gazillion dollars, and, and in the ways of the world of money, he could be considered to be very successful. But he could be the unhappiest people, one of the unhappiest people in the world. That's possible. That's true. You, you could have a shaman in the jungle who, who has no physical possessions. And he's happy. He's happy. He's like, he walks 10 feet, and there's the banana tree, and there's his banana, and he goes over there, and there's he's got his, all at his fingertips. And he's got his little hut and everything else. That's right. He's got, he's got no insurance. <laughs> he doesn't have the IRS, right? And, you know... Uh, he doesn't have air pollution, all of the things that come with society and all the material possessions that people spend their lives after. He has none of it, and he doesn't want it, and he doesn't need it because he's really happy with who he is and where he is because he's, you know, he's in the, he's in the, the, the palm, in the heart of Mother Earth, and all his needs are met. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. 
Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.